This is How Sound, the backstory to great audio storytelling. Hey, Rob Rosenthal here. Hello from Woods Hole, Massachusetts. Back in the podcasting dark ages, and I'm, I'm talking about 2010, back a decade ago, How Sound was called Saltcast. Different name, same idea. Interview audio producers about the craft. I have a pretty rich archive of Saltcast episodes just sitting around gathering dust, including one with Sean Cole that I unearthed recently, and I want to feature it today on this episode of How Sound. We'll hear a story Sean produced, a really good one, and then afterward, you'll hear my chat with Sean from back in the day. First, a word about Sean and the story. I bet you know Sean's work. Currently, he produces for This American Life. Before that, he was at Radiolab and Marketplace. He was a freelancer as well, and he made pieces for All Things Considered and Studio 360. He even worked in the newsroom at WBUR. Dude's been around the block. When I talked to him for Saltcast, we talked about the decision to leave in interview questions in a story. On these days, that might sound like a strange topic for a conversation, since reporters and producers include their questions all the time now. But back then, and long before, it was actually considered bad form. I think in general, the idea was that the producer or reporter was not supposed to draw attention to themselves. They're supposed to be invisible. I mean, think back to some old newspaper or magazine article you might have read, or even a TV or radio report where the narrator, instead of saying I, they say this reporter. Probably in that voice, this reporter type of a thing. Anyway, that's what I mean by the reporter being invisible. No questions allowed in a radio story. The story Sean produced in 2005 was a non-narrated story. Now, typically, in stories without a narrator, you don't hear the reporter ask questions. The only voices are those of the characters in the story. But Sean left in a bunch of his questions, along with his in-the-moment responses to what the character was saying. In other words, there's a lot of Sean, even though it's non-narrated. So back in 2010, for Saltcast, I thought, oh, he probably could have taken out his questions, or many of them, so why leave them in? And even though it's not a radical idea today, I think it's worth revisiting this topic, especially since a lot of what Sean and I talked about was a producer's relationship with listeners. So let's listen. The story is about a good friend of Sean's named Jenny. She asked who she thought was the most beautiful man in the world to donate his sperm so she could have a baby. The story is called, Who's Your Daddy? Well, my friend Kira, who's my best, best friend, invited me to come visit her in Hawaii. And she had fled to Hawaii because of this failed relationship. And I had fled to Boston after a failed relationship. And I was pale and white and unhappy and single, which was very depressing at the time. So anyway, I get on the plane and uh, jet off to Hawaii. And I land. And it's just, it's like, oops, I can hear the baby. Can you really? Do you want to go tend to him and come back to this? Why does he cry so much? <laughs> I, at the time, was 35 years old, and I'd always wanted to have children by the time I was 30. Now I'm single, and I was a little bit freaked out about the kid thing. I mean, I hate that, that cliche of your clock is ticking, but it, it actually, it was ticking. <laughs> and I was, I, I didn't want, like, I had friends who were, like, desperate for somebody just so they could have a baby, you know, and I felt like, you know, that's not the way to go into a relationship desperate for a baby. That's just not the way to do it. So those are some of the things that I was struggling with. And um, 
And I get off the plane and it's that thick, warm, tropical air that just kind of, it just embraces you. I, you know what I mean? That air that's just so warm and lovely and it just immediately just felt better. And there's my beautiful friend Kira. And I'm just totally on vacation and a happy clam. And then Kira says that she's got us lined up for these massages. And she says he's from, it's the best masseuse on the island. And we're at the house, we knock on the door for the massages. And this man comes out and he is the most beautiful man I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, stunningly, take a deep breath, beautiful. He's got, he's got this really dark hair that's like down shoulder length. And he had this like dark golden skin and his teeth. It was his teeth that did me and he had the most perfect white teeth. His teeth did you in? Shawnee, his teeth were so beautiful. Actually, key in addition to his teeth is his eyes. He had these, he had these green eyes. I was almost kind of worried about this massage. I kind of got a little tense because I didn't want to be naked in front of such beauty. I mean, he was so beautiful. I felt like only equally beautiful people should actually get naked in front of him. <laughs> So then I go in for the massage, and it's the best massage of my life. I mean, not only, I mean, does he have these magic hands and just did the pressure exactly right, but he also had some chiropractic experience. <laughs> so he adjusted me while I was getting the massage. And it was just magical. It was a magic massage. And um, I got out of there. And I'm sitting out on his lawn, and I'm overwhelmed at having met the most beautiful man in the world. And then Kira comes out, and she's had a killer massage too, so we're both really happy. And we're in the car, and it's Hawaii, and it's beautiful, and the air is warm and sensual. And I say, God, I say to my friend Kira, I'm like, God, if I ever wanted to have a sperm donor for my child, that's who I would want it with. And I'm kind of joking. I'm like, he's, he's, he's the perfect sperm donor for me. And we're laughing about that and stuff. And then like, you know, 10 minutes later in the car, it's like suddenly overwhelms me that in fact, he is a sperm donor that I want for me. And I'm like, whoa. This is, this is the guy, this is my chance. I can get his sperm. I can have the most beautiful child in the world, and then I can take my time finding the right relationship. I could separate the relationship from the desire to have a child. And he's a lovely man. He's got a good, kind spirit. And I'm suddenly like set on the idea that this is who I want. I really want him. this to Kira and she's like okay she goes you know he does have a couple other kids on the island and uh, 
Yeah, he does. Like illegitimate kids? Or? Well, like he's a free spirit and he's got a couple of free spirits. <laughs> illegitimate kids. That's what that He's means. got a couple free spirit kids on the island. And that's okay because, you know, I'm not marrying him. I'm just, I just want a sperm. And actually, the fact that he has some healthy kids running around is a good sign that, you know, he's got good sperm and the kids are beautiful. So says Kira. And, um, but I've got this problem with my sperm plan, which is that, um, Michael, magic masseuse, only comes into town to give massages every once a month or every couple months or something. And he actually, he's like Tarzan and he lives out in the jungle, like 12 miles by sea kayak or this monster hike down through, you know, these canyons and over these cliffs. And I have to have this man's sperm. How do I ask him? I'm gonna have to ask him by letter and I'm gonna have to somehow get this letter to him. That's my great plan. Cause I'm only in Hawaii for a few days and I'm gonna leave and he's gone. So I start kind of starting to think the letter through in my head. And meanwhile, Kira and I, Kira's booked us this cabin up in this beautiful state park. So we go up to the cabin and I'm like, Kira, I need your help. I need your help with this letter. Cause I'm a little stressed about what do you say? How do you ask a man for his sperm? Um, a fine question. Like the sperm thing was difficult. You don't want to be crude and base and say, you know, I'd like your sperm. So I do remember <laughs> that I came up with, would you be willing to share a part of you with me? And um, that could kind of mean anything. <laughs> I mean, it's not <laughs> well, but in the context, it was pretty damn good. I mean, it was like. You know, while you're giving me ma that massage, <laughs> I just sounds so fucking stupid now. But this is true. Like <laughs> giving me this massage, I just felt this this just powerful, <laughs> powerful connection with you. And um, and later, I was just thinking that you're the person that I would like to have a baby by, not with, by. <laughs> So anyway, I've got this letter, but what am I going to do with it? Couldn't mail it to him because I didn't have an address for him. And in fact, I didn't actually even know his last name. And um, we're sitting out on our lounge chairs. And then this guy walks out of the cabin next to us because there are all these little cabins in a row. And he looks like a high school football coach. And, uh, and in fact, he is a coach, which is pretty good because Kieran and I are like, oh, he looks like a coach. And then he introduces himself and he's a coach. And, uh, and we ask what he's doing. And he says that he's come to Hawaii to live out a dream. And his dream has always been to hike to the Nepali coast and down into the canyon, which happens to be the same canyon where Michael, my love source, lives. And it's as if, you know, he were lighted down there by an angel. And I'm like, could you do me a favor? And he's like, sure. And I say, I've got this friend down there who lives down there. And his name is Michael. And he has green eyes. And could you deliver this letter to him? And he's like, well, you know, I said, there are people who live down there. And, you know, you'll be able to find them if you just ask around. And he's like, okay. And so I wrap cellophane around my letter and I give it to him. And it's like giving the man a football. I mean, he tucked that thing in. I honestly take credit for enhancing this man's journey because he now had a mission. You know, it's way better to have a mission than just to go on a hike. A purpose. To it's a purpose. Yeah. 
I just had total faith that if anyone could deliver this letter, it was him. Anyway, so the letter's gone. I say goodbye to Kira. I go back to Boston to my miserable high-stress life. And I had no idea, you know. I, who, I mean, I had thought, well, it wouldn't be great if it actually gets there. No one better to try to get it there than the coach. But it was a little seed at the back of my mind. I hardly ever thought about it anymore. And, um, and then maybe, maybe like six weeks later, I'm at home one evening, and the phone rings. And I pick it up, and this man says, hi, this is Michael. And I'm like, Michael? He's like, you know, Michael from Hawaii. And, I mean, I was, I was in shock. <laughs> I was just, couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. And he says, I got your letter. He got my letter. And, uh, and he says, and I'd like to talk about it. And I'm like, okay, you know, great, great. And I sit down in the living room and he says, you know, I mean, have you really thought about having a child like this and who would be with you when you, it was fairly nice of me, he says, who would be with you like when you're suffering from morning sickness and stuff. And so he was sort of, he was interviewing me a little bit about how much I thought about this. And I said, well, you know, and I basically said, I've got this great support system of friends and, you know, I have a lot of people who would look after me and take care of me. And, and I was really excited. Um, I was really excited that I was having this conversation. So then he says, well, let me, let me call you again next week and let's talk about it more. And he calls me the next week. I didn't think, you know, I thought, well, maybe I've scared him off. And he calls and he says, you know, I'm standing, I'm at this friend of mine's house and the sun is setting over the ocean and I'm feeling really connected to you. And we talk some more and he says, if you're serious about this, I'm open to it. He says, I'm okay with it. That's what he says. And it was the most empowering moment of my life. I'm like, I've done this. I have gone to the most beautiful man I have ever laid eyes upon and I've asked him for his sperm and he said yes and it was like at that moment when I suddenly didn't feel like I needed to have a baby right away thing because a lot of the need was based on this sense that I was rather helpless I mean, for me it was like at times almost to the point of just a panic where you know what am, how am I gonna have this child what am I gonna do and when he said yes to me I felt like I'm not helpless in this situation I don't you know have to go begging some man for sperm or groveling off to the sperm bank like I can go up to a man that I think is perfect and asked for his sperm and he said yes to me. So it was, it was less about him and his being beautiful and you wanting a, a kid at that point. See the thing is I didn't I didn't know that it was about other stuff until he said okay and then it then 
I mean, it was like my panic just evaporated. It just was gone. In just one like, moment? That... In one moment when he said, okay, because it was suddenly, well, it was just this, whoa. Okay, so I'm not desperate. I don't need to be in a rush. There are other options and there are options that I really like. And this wouldn't be a bad way to do it. But I don't need to do it right now at this moment. But the other thing is that at the time of the second conversation with Michael, I had met this other man that I now had a serious crush on. So I guess someone could argue, you know, maybe that helped my decision not to get sperm from him. But it didn't feel that way to me because I, who knew what was going to happen with that relationship? Um, and the fact of the matter is I still was the age I was and still had these biological issues. And this relationship was by no means, I mean, it wasn't even a relationship yet. It wasn't anything. Well, then we were going to talk again. The third time. The third time. Not about that question, but just sort of talk more about logistics and... He called, actually, while I was having a dinner party. And um, this new man that I was interested in was over, and it was a little bit awkward. And I said, I said to him, it just, the timing, it, the timing wasn't good right now. And then we didn't talk again. That was sort of it. You never emailed him or anything? No. I did email, I, I did email him, and I said um, that I was sorry that I hadn't talked to him that night. And um, I guess I remember kind of saying that I, things were a little complicated and I wasn't actually sure it was going to be a good time for me right now. It was really, and I, I think I was trying to like make sure the door was open at crack, but I didn't hear back from him. So I don't know if, if it would have been open or not. I really don't know. But it didn't matter anymore to me. It didn't matter. But you know, the great thing about this man that I met, that I started to date, was that I didn't have any baby pressure. I mean, I, I knew that I wanted to have children, but I didn't have this pressure that had been gnawing at me before. And we started to date, and when he asked me to move in with him, which was a year later, I brought up the child thing, and then it was Jason who really wanted to get married first. And then uh, a little less than a year after we got married, I got pregnant. Now I have the most beautiful little boy in the whole world. Hi, baby. Hi, beautiful baby, baby. Hello, little one. Oh. How come you aren't talking to the real sperm donor here? <laughs> I mean, all this talk about trying to find the ideal sperm donor, and does she think that she would have gotten a better dose of sperm from some, like, Hawaiian guy with long hair, you know? He wouldn't have produced a baby like this. No, no, that's right, that's right. Who do you want? Did you want like some Hawaiian hippie dude? Or do you want your papa's sperm? This is gross, Ugh. <laughs> Asking him whose sperm he wants. <laughs> do you ever think of what Michael's and yours baby would, Michael and your baby would have been beautiful, like? beautiful. More beautiful than this? <laughs> Different beautiful. It wouldn't have been any more beautiful, no. Phineas is gorgeous. Phineas, you were so beautiful. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 
So you want to vote for having this pop up. Do you attribute that lack of pressure with Jason to this thing with Michael? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Michael changed my life. That whole experience changed my life. I don't know if I would have been able to have a successful relationship in my next relationship if, if what had transpired with Michael never had happened. If I hadn't done that, I don't know if I would have been able to get involved in a relationship because I, I didn't want to have that theme of needing a child be the overriding theme in, in a relationship that I had. Um, and it wasn't. It was something I was really clear about, but it wasn't the overriding sort of drive and why I was with him. I didn't have to question, was I with this man because I want to have a child, or am I with this man because I really like him? Sounds like Michael gave you something that was, you know, even more precious than a, than a child. I think he did, because I think that um, it opened up this whole world of feeling like, I mean, you know, it's sort of the therapist's mantra is you need to ask for what you want. But it's true. You need to ask for what you want and what you need. And, you know, you can't just let these things in life um, sort of destroy you in a way and make you feel helpless and weak. You just have to say, this is what I want. This is what I need. What are you guys thinking in terms of having another kid? Well, there's some guy in Hawaii that Jenny thought maybe she could get some <laughs> sperm from, you know, so thought maybe rather than waste his sperm, you know, that, that you know, maybe we could do, do something with that. Um, what do you think about that, Finn? What do you think about that? From 2005, that's Who's Your Daddy by Sean Cole. Let me now dial back the clock and pick up from here with the interview I did with Sean about that story in 2010. One of my questions, which ironically I didn't include, was simple. Why leave in your questions? I mean, I'm somebody who, who, who tends to leave their questions in, even in just a straight reporter piece. Um, I think it always, not always, I think when it's done right, it always makes a piece better because you, you don't get the sense that the, the reporter is this sort of invisible puppeteer or, you know, in news pieces like some sort of authoritative voice of, of a demigod or something. Or as Jonathan Goldstein would say, I am not an amorphous gas. <laughs> Sean says radio succeeds, radio is at its most powerful when the voices sound like they're talking directly to the listener. It's as though they're the listener's companion. Keeping the questions and comments in a radio piece fosters that relationship, if you will. Another reason to leave in the reporter's voice is simply to hear some kind of interaction, people relating to one another in real time. And I think that's actually hard to do. But I think it's not hard to do if, if you realize as yourself, as a reporter or producer, that you are a person and you can interact. And genuine interactions on the radio are so satisfying because, again, they, you know, it's like you've taken life and put it directly on the air. Like, there's just something about the connection between two people that it's just human, you know, it's, it's what being a human is. 
I think one of those moments is when you refer to Michael, the potential sperm donor, uh, and the children that he has on the island, as, and, those, and you refer to those kids as illegitimate kids, and she corrects you and says, well, you know, uh, how about free spirit? Yeah, they're free spirit kids. <laughs> she goes, you know, he does have a couple other kids on the island, and... Uh, yeah, he does Like illegitimate kids? Or? Well, like he's a free spirit and he's got a couple of free... That means illegitimate <laughs> kids, that's what that He's means. got a couple free spirit kids on the island. You know, I love Jenny and, and we make fun of each other a lot and we tease each other and I, yeah, I just thought that was... Um, the bottom line is, I felt like there were, you know, and it, it wasn't the case with, with all of the moments that I'm in there, but but there were a lot, there were moments where I felt like something needed to be said. Do you know what I mean? And... Normally, you say it in in copy and narration. Um, but there's something I learned a long time ago, uh, and it's it's still hard for me. And I think that it's okay that it's hard. Is that you know you, when you think something about uh, a story or something someone is saying, or a particular way that they are or whatever, that you think they might take exception to. You can't just go on the air and say it in narration. You have to say it to them. It, it's A, only fair, and B, it only works if, they ha if you can include their reaction to it. You, you can't laugh behind somebody's back. You know what I mean? And, and so I think not only is it important to pose those perhaps challenging confrontational ideas to somebody, but it's important to put the posing of, of those ideas into the story and have their reaction. That's a rule. Um, when you are expressing an opinion or a thought or a moment of surprise or something along those lines, do you ever feel like you need to attribute it to someone who's not in the room? Would you ever say... Well, someone might say those are illegitimate kids. Yeah, no, I, I'm tempted to because it couches it and softens it. And, you know, I think that then it's true, right? You know, well, people might say or your conservative opposition might say or whatever. But it, it couches it and so they're going to have a sort of softer, less interesting, less dynamic answer. Um, I mean, David Kestenbaum talked about that at Third Coast one year, and he was talking about on the media who who do that amazingly. Like, they don't say people say or someone might say. They say, like, you're full of it. Like, what, you know? Like, what about this thing? And I'm not going to lie to you. Like, there are times when I I chicken out and I do play it safe and I always regret it. And I always have to tell myself that I'm going to regret it. And so my job isn't to play it safe, unfortunately. If you aren't convinced yet about leaving in questions and comments from time to time, here's a couple more reasons. One thing Sean and I didn't talk about is leaving in a question to break up a pattern. It's easy to produce a monotonous piece of radio. Narration, quote, narration, quote, narration, quote. Well, if you leave in a question, it mixes things up a bit. Narration, quote, narration, quote. Narration, question, quote. Hear what I mean? Leaving in surprise, your surprise, as a reporter to a comment someone has made, that's good to let listeners hear as well. 
He's got he's got this really dark hair that's like down shoulder length, and he had this like dark golden skin, and his teeth. It was his teeth that did me, and he had the most perfect white teeth. His teeth did you in? Shawnee, his teeth were so beautiful. How come you left that in? Uh, Because it was crazy (laughs) for her to think that it was his teeth that did her in. That's crazy. I don't know. I thought that was kind of like of all the things, like his body, his skin, his hair. It's his teeth that really did me in. I'm like, what? What are you, a dentist? You know. (laughs) That's why I left all of those things in. That's why I left the illegitimate kids thing in. That's why I left the that could mean anything thing in. That's crazy. (laughs) Somebody needed to say that's crazy. Well, I think that hearing your surprise is contagious. Yeah. And it affirms perhaps what maybe the listener is thinking. Well, that's, yeah, that's the philosophy. And you're the surrogate for the listener in that moment. That's definitely the philosophy. And I've gone back, you know, I mean, it's awful when you go back and listen to an interview and you're logging the tape and you're thinking like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't respond to that. Somebody needed to say X, Y, Z and I didn't say it. You know what I mean? It's the worst feeling. It's one of the worst feelings. Rob, I have... I have to say, and I've said this publicly before, I have every wrong attribute for this job. I'm, believe it or not, totally shy, like, don't like to impose, don't like, I want everybody to like me. I'm, I hate making cold calls. I certainly hate walking up to strangers on the street with a microphone. Like, it, it, it's like when I'm going out to do Vox Pop, I'm filled with dread and my stomach is in knots. I I thought, you know, 13 years later, it would be easier, but it's not. So every time it's like, you know, jumping off of a high diving board. And, uh, and then, you know, for, as an example, like once you're on the street with, you know, stopping passersby and you have like, and one of them is really great and, you know, they're funny or they're saying the exact thing that you needed somebody to say or whatever or saying something that you had no idea that anybody would say but is amazing then you're like it's like a rush you know what I mean or when you go into an interview and you say something confrontive and and somebody comes back at you with like the perfect thing it's this rush and then you say thank you and they're like what (laughs) you just said something really you know, frustrating to be, and I'm frustrated, and you're like, yeah, but you're just, you're just you're, you sound so beautiful. <laughs> it is it's the weirdest job in the world. It was good to hear that interview with Sean Cole after all these years. I think I should dig up more from the Saltcast from time to time. What do you think? Speaking of digging things up, in 2009, Sean wrote a manifesto for Transom called All in Favor, Say I. It's about narrators using the pronoun I in a story. In that article, he wrote, In my incredibly humble opinion, the only hard and fast and immutable rules are being accurate and fair, telling the truth as well as possible, and making sure that your storytelling choices benefit the story. To me, he wrote, the facts are the structure and the rigor. And I think it's almost incumbent upon us as radio reporters to at least try to use the medium to its fullest advantage and give listeners more than what they're expecting, i.e. something memorable beyond the information we're conveying. Good thoughts, right? 
Sean has a lot more to say at transom.org. This is How Sound, the backstory to great audio storytelling. It's produced by me for Transom and PRX with help from John Barth, Jay Allison, Vicki Merrick, Sid Lewis, and Sam Brown. I'm Rob Rosenthal. Thanks for listening. From PRX. And Transom.org.